an interesting week, to say the least. One of the things I did was I went to the CLE program that was at Comic-Con. Now I remember 10 years ago when I went to Comic-Con, my absolute favorite day was Professionals Day. Now you may wonder why is Professionals Day such a cool thing? Basically shopping. That's why I would say that was the best day I had because I did a ton of shopping. And inevitably when you go to a convention like that, you're going to be spending way more money than you want to spend. But I actually did end up finding merchandise that I wanted and things I liked and had a use for. So I didn't end up spending too much more than what I wanted to spend. So I was really happy about that. But I ended up going to the CLE and it was kind of interesting that of two of the speakers, one of them was the founder of the Indie Film Clinic. And I remember when that clinic started because I actually had been working at my film production company for about four years at the time. And I remember I had reached out and this was just to volunteer. So this isn't about getting money to do it or anything like that or even making a side income. And I had inquired about volunteering there because I had kind of built, I was building a reputation in the indie film industry. I knew people obviously who would have some need for legal services, things like that. So they seemed to be way more focused on where I went to law school and what my GPA was rather than my actual lived experience and my current experience of working at this film production company. And I'm not even sure if I mentioned it at the time, and it definitely was in a time before there was the whole diversity and inclusion push. But this was also a company that was majority minority owned as well as majority woman owned. So if you were looking for people who were black, who were in ownership positions, this company had it. So I remember that they were so concerned about getting my job resume and they weren't really, and I, they may have asked me for law school grades, I don't remember. But I remember they were so fixated on that. And then, you know, I never heard a single thing from that place again. Nobody seemed to have any interest there. I've continued on in the independent film space. And basically I felt like, okay, this is another classic example of where I don't fit into the lawyer, you know, the legal industry space. And I can tell you from my experiences doing networking and if you got to know me as a person, you would know that basically I don't identify a lot with people in the legal space. So I would say the personal experiences I've had with people, if we're looking at creatives, I've had 80% of people who are awesome and 20% of people who are complete jerks. Now, if we're talking about the legal industry, you would flip that around. So basically I've dealt with about 80% of people who are jerks and 20% of people who are awesome. And the 20% of the people I've met who were awesome, only one actually gave me an opportunity that had anything to do with my career. In fact, the majority of my career that I do right now in the legal space has been because of creatives believing in me. It was because of creatives giving me opportunity. So it was interesting that one speaker mentioned that he was a founder of this clinic. So I'm thinking, okay, I am going to network with some of these people, but I think I am going to mention that and kind of note that I may or may not have mentioned at the time that in addition to the fact that I was part of a film company that definitely was exhibiting diversity and even had that in their projects long before that became a buzzword, I was also a first generation college and law school graduate, still am. So I don't even know if I mentioned that to people because that's not the type of thing I like to throw around at folk. I feel like if you have opportunity, you should get it because you've earned it based on your solid work. Not, I have a vagina, give me stuff. Or I've got more melanin in my skin, give me things. Or I sleep with somebody of the same sex as me, give me stuff. I feel like we should get stuff based on our actual merit, 
on our abilities, our potential. But it seems like these days people seem a little more consumed about whether you do that stuff. And honestly, I would tell somebody if they feel like they've got to do that to get ahead because they're not getting a fair opportunity otherwise, why not? I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm not going to tell you, oh no, you shouldn't do that. But just don't make that be your solid reason why somebody should talk to you, okay? Like, I know when Hillary Clinton was running for president, it felt like her entire campaign was, I've got a vagina, give me the presidency. Like, never mind anything about whether you're competent at the job, whether you actually are going to serve all of the people, never mind any of your track record, what you've done, that seemed to completely be secondary. It seemed to be totally ignored. And there were definitely people who had some criticism of that. But I think one of my big problems, and that's kind of a gripe I have about the whole Democratic Party and certainly some of the Republicans too, but it feels like a lot of people in Democrat and the Democrat side in particular kind of have this attitude of arrogance. And in fact, I remember talking to a friend of mine when he was going to Florida and I said to him, if you kind of bring this Northern sentiment of I know more than you and I'm better than you, that really pisses people off. And I think he had been seeking advice on how could he build community and how could he make friendships and things like that. And I said, well, one big thing the South hates is they do not like Yankees. And that's what they call you if you're from New York. And there's a few distinctions and I can definitely tell you a lot about it. But one of the things is that people down there feel like the Yankees, quote unquote, yeah, they basically feel like the Yankees want to try and be sanctimonious towards you. Like, oh, yes, we're so evolved and we don't have this issue and that issue and, you know, fill in the blank of issues that are big time prevalent in the South. Like, say, oh, our diets are better. Oh, we don't have these racial attitudes towards other people. Oh, we don't do this and we don't do that. But it's like, okay, guys, you have your own flaws. There are definitely places where, yes, some of you Northerners do have problems and one of them is you cannot have a sanctimonious attitude. And even if you might be right on something, that doesn't mean you go and talk to people and you basically dehumanize them by saying, oh yeah, you're dead wrong and you're a moron and I'm right. Because do you want to make friends with people or do you want to just be right? Which do you want? So if you're looking for camaraderie and you're looking for people to back you, especially if you're not from there, you can't be walking around, and I actually said this to a friend of mine, I'm like, can't be to my friend who was doing this, I was like, you cannot be walking around with this sanctimonious attitude of, I know everything and you know nothing. Because that's basically the root of how you've had a lot of conflict, that's how you have middle America, who basically will talk about the coastal elites. That's how you have a lot of people who are part of the coastal elites, who get frustrated with the people in middle America who frankly are not interested in various things that may or may not be helpful, like say, instituting electric cars. Like I think there are some green policies that if you could present an argument and you can make it accessible to people, make it affordable, make it something that can be mainstreamed, democratize that system, then it might be something that serves the public good. But if you're doing it in a way of like, okay, you have to have all these electric cars and we're going to ban your gas guzzlers, but we're not going to give you enough stations to make the electric cars viable to actually charge your car. That doesn't work. And if you're making the cars too expensive for anybody to get, that doesn't work either. You're just going to anger people. You're going to piss them off. They're going to say, you know, nothing about what my life is like here. And it causes, you know, yet another one of these conflicts. So anyhow, I actually 
yeah, so basically from my personal experience dealing with all of that, I feel like that some of these elite folk, they kind of have this attitude of, oh, yes, we're all about diversity and inclusion, which I've said many times, but they like to throw that out the window when it comes to legal jobs or when it comes to opportunities and giving hand ups. They seem to not believe in the concept of hand ups or handouts. And in fact, it's interesting, another one of these speakers was working at this law firm that has had a job that I applied for, I think at least twice. And when I looked at the website recently, they still had this job and nobody even bothered to follow up with me or even send me a rejection letter. So they talk about on their website about how they're a team and they have this wonderful workplace culture and it's like, okay, you're talking out of your butt, frankly. And I think my personal experience as an attorney, like reading about these law firms and hearing about this, I feel like, what is the distinction? It's like a law firm is a law firm is a law firm to me. It's like one abusive, one emotionally abusive pit where you're expected to work owner hours and get zero equity is just like another one. How are you different? What makes you, you know, what makes you distinct from everybody else? It just feels like ABC abuse factory that why would I even bother with? Like, I feel like that's kind of how the marketing works and that's kind of what I see personally when I've looked at some of these offices and honestly, being a candidate and dealing with some of this stuff and having done these things further along in my career, it's like you have to vet people very carefully before you even apply for jobs, before you start working with them. And lately when I've looked at job ads and I've gone on there, it's like, okay, now I have to go vet this office and make sure that they don't have another abusive work environment. I have to read reviews and see what the clients have to say, see what the support staff is saying, see what employees are saying. So if some employee is talking about how they make you work crazy hours, how there's no work-life balance and you're basically demanded to do all kinds of crazy stuff like violate ethics rules, give up vacations you've had planned for months and months, abandon your family, that's not gonna be the place I wanna work at because frankly, I've had family members die very early. So I actually know what that's like, that you're not promised tomorrow. And you may not get somebody in your life after tomorrow. They might drop dead. You don't know. So I feel like when you've had some of those experiences and you've been a partner in a business where when you were doing some of that stuff, yes, there was going to be a gain for that. Frankly, I don't have the motivation to do all this stuff where I'm getting no gain. Would any sane person have that? I think not. So it seems like some of these people who have these law firms have no concept of that and it shows. So it sort of seems like, yeah, this is a you problem. This is your fault, especially if you have a turnover rate that's extremely high and then you want to complain because people aren't going to be abused robots. That's like maybe AI is perfectly designed for you and maybe it is time for the robot force to be who you look at because you will save a lot of money and you won't be dealing with people who need to go to the bathroom. They need to take time off because they've got families, they've got pets to take care of. They simply want to have a time to recharge. Maybe you do need a robot force instead of actual employees because you have no people skills and you have no interest in developing rapport with anybody or creating any type of respectful atmosphere. So, you know, when I've confronted people on a lot of this stuff and I've had discussion about it, it's like I never get responses and nobody seems to address that. So I feel like when people don't address that stuff, it kind of says to me, okay, I'm talking out of my ass and I don't actually mean any of that. Or I actually know that this shit is going on and I'm basically digging into my massive hypocrisy. 
So I can think of so many things that just epitomize hypocrisy to me. And I think one of them was at least the culture many, many years ago of Comic-Con. And I can tell you a little bit about gaming culture and things like that because I knew a lot of people who did this even far back as high school. I was a drama kid, so I was actually in the drama club. I knew people who did RPGs. And in fact, in those days, it basically felt like a men's club. I think I only had one friend in my high school drama class who was part of the role-playing game atmosphere and got invited to the events, but a lot of it felt like Studio 54. Like you basically were not welcome if you didn't get an invitation. And if you were a woman, you generally could not be an attractive woman and be considered good at that. Like you were generally excluded. Like I even dated a guy in college and he was like, I go gaming. Like this guy did this every single weekend. It was kind of like a ritual, like going to church. So I was also married to my ex-husband who was a comic book guy. He delved a little bit into that world, but he wasn't like, it wasn't so much like he went gaming every single week. Like he did have a friend of his who actually was a game master. He actually was in charge of games. And occasionally my ex-husband went to that and this was like before we were married and he would be working during the week. So I think he usually did this on Thursdays when he wouldn't normally see me anyway because I had law school classes. So it's not like there was a schedule conflict or anything. But I do remember I went maybe a couple of times and one time I think I was sitting in his lap and this was like back in the early days of our relationship. So we were always like really lovey-dovey. And his friend was like, I'm going to get diabetes looking at you too. And I'll tell you, if you ever get a relationship where you have that kind of affection, you definitely shouldn't squander that. Like that is the type of relationship that I sort of, man, I don't know if I live for it now, but I'm definitely like, I want that in my life. That is the kind of relationship that I feel like all of us should have. We should strive for it. We should be the people who disgust others, okay? That is love right there. That's how you know. So I remember with my ex-husband, and I think even when I was getting divorced, I basically got the sense from a lot of his friends that I'm an attractive woman, so therefore I'm not welcome in that space. And I think my ex definitely made me feel that way when I was doing fashion shows and I started doing modeling and stuff. And one of the theories as to why he decided to throw me out was because of him having insecurities about his looks. Like literally we had people come up and say, you know, she's really attractive. What does she see in you? Or even ask me, why are you with that guy? You're attractive or he's so unattractive. That actually happened a few times. Not so much with people in his world, but definitely people that I encountered. So I felt a lot of the difference and I felt like, okay, so he's not a lawyer. So he's not part of that scene. So I felt like there was a lot of exclusionary behavior there. But I kind of felt like with Comic-Con, it was like, okay, it's my ex's realm. It's my ex and his friends. So it's like only for people that aren't considered conventionally attractive. And if you know the history of it and you know about the so-called booth babes, and how people treated the booth babes and a lot of that going on, then you definitely would see where some of that comes from and kind of have this idea that people associated with Comic-Con or people who kind of have this idea of the Comic-Cons are like, oh, we're smart and people like the booth babes and like the jocks and the models, they're dumb. So they're not welcome here, they're not included. So I definitely have been happy over the years, kind of feels like, okay, they've gotten a little more inclusionary than they used to be. And I was even telling the last guy I dated because he was a board gamer. And he told me that he looked down on people like my ex-husband who are comic book guys. So I'm like, so you look down on other geeks, really? 
And he was like, yeah, we looked down on that. And I'm like, okay. It just felt really odd to me. But I went there and I was a little nervous about it because I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to see. How am I going to get treated? Am I going to run into my ex-husband or somebody of his? Am I going to get harassed here? But I thought, okay, they have a very strict policy about not bringing weapons in. And they're very, they've got a hardcore list of rules about not harassing people and bothering them. So I thought, okay, if he bothers me, I'll just get a security person to toss him out. And fortunately, I did not see him, even though I figured he'd totally show up for Professionals Day because he's probably still a public librarian, even though he complained about that job to anybody who would listen for the majority of our marriage. So anyhow, I actually found a doormat, which I kind of thought, you know what, it'd be nice to have that. And I found one associated with my Nintendo roots. I went to this earring place, actually this little jewelry booth, and I found earrings. And in fact, last time I went to Comic-Con, I actually did buy earrings there too. So I was like, okay, I found these Kirby earrings. I'm taking those. Then I went to a t-shirt place and not like I need a bunch of t-shirts or anything, but I saw one that I was like, my mother's going to insist I get this one. Because it's like a censored middle finger a cat is holding up and it says, I'm, I'm a effing delight. So I was like, yeah, my mom's going to be like, yeah, you got to get that one. Because I remember years ago they came to visit and there was a shirt... You've probably seen it around if you've been in New York or if you've known a lot of people who wear this sort of thing, but it says F in New York City. Or there's F this and F that, and there's like the F word all over the place with un lack of censorship. And my mom's like, you need to get that shirt. So I never ended up getting that shirt, but I got this one with cats on it. And there was another one that just feels so apt to today's time. In fact, more so than it was 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. That says, have you tried using common sense? It has a cat on it. Then there was another one that I ended up kind of getting impromptu. And it said, me, sarcastic, never. And I was like, yes, I need to get that one as well. That sort of sums me up too. But definitely I was like, have you tried using common sense? We got to get that one. And there were so many different designs and I was like, okay, I'm going to make it easy for you because we're going to see what you have in extra small. And my little body can still fit in extra small. So that felt kind of accomplishing. I also went and got a Halloween costume at this Spirit Halloween up the block from my house, which generally I don't do that sort of thing. But I happened to see one and then I thought, okay, I've got a modification idea that's going to make this costume even better. And it was something that I haven't done before. So I'm like, hopefully with the colors it will coordinate the way I wanted so we'll see about that but I was like you know what I'll go ahead and do that I don't have as much of a costume chest here I need to get more of my stuff out of my mom's house but who knows when that's going to happen so I figured okay I'll get this costume in case I go to a Halloween party or if I get invited somewhere then now I've got a costume to wear so accomplished that fairly easily actually more so than I expected because I tend to have these costume ideas that you can't seem to find and I think I'm going to have to have my own seamstress to get it done, but that's a whole separate thing. But I was actually pleasantly surprised with my experience at Comic-Con, so we're going to see how it goes when I go and network with people. Because I definitely have personal things to mention, and we're going to see if that actually does anything to get me somewhere in this whole job conundrum, if people treat me with respect, or if they kind of look at it as, oh yeah, she's not bothered, you know, she's not one of us. So we don't have to worry about respecting her or regarding her or having hatred towards me because I do have a creative career that's simultaneous and actually just did get this hosting gig that I'm going to be doing a lot on as well. And I actually have a pending discussion with a manager to represent me. So I actually have to get back to him shortly, but... 
I thought the overall experience of Comic Con was actually worth going, and it was nice to exercise demons and even try a dumpling place that had chicken and bell pepper dumplings. So, overall, it was not bad at all.